Welcome back to Meant to Be. I'm Julia, the founder of Ment Projects, a mentorship business rooted in innovation and collaboration. Meant to Be is a podcast series that features professionals from various industries and highlights the diverse opportunities that these fields have to offer. In our conversations, we break down each step of our guests' academic and career journey, from high school all the way to their current role. We look at the different challenges and decisions they've faced to contribute to their growth and shows how their career is meant to be. In today's episode, we are joined by Lauren Phillips, the Chief Product Officer of Biobox Analytics, a tech startup company for biological data analysis. Lauren attended the Toronto Metropolitan University, where she earned her Bachelor of Science in the Biomedical Science program. With an interest in medicine and research, Lauren worked in a biology lab and volunteered with the Make-A-Wish Foundation during her undergrad. It was in this time that she gained a passion for research in pediatric brain cancer, which led to her Master of Science degree at the University of Toronto for laboratory medicine and pathobiology. During her master's, Lauren met the co-founders of Biobox and joined the tech startup with the mission to help scientists with their biological data. As chief product officer, Lauren is responsible for designing and testing the software features, as well as communicating with clients' needs and relaying feedback to the Biobox team. I am so happy to have Lauren on the podcast today. Her position at Biobox really intrigued me. It shows how a biology background can lead to so many different career paths, such as in the tech world. Lauren is also able to bring in so many different skills, like design and communications into her job. Lauren also talks about how connecting to different spaces during undergrad can help you find your passion, whether it's in lab groups or extracurriculars. Her story is very insightful and I'm so happy to have her here to share it with you all. So now, telling us all about her journey and how it is meant to be, here is Lauren Phillips. We're going to be starting right from the beginning. So could you tell us a little bit about what interested you when you were younger and what you wanted to be when you grew up? Great question. So I think from a really young age, I was always interested in the sciences and I wasn't exactly sure how that was going to play out for me. I think for a while I was considering medical school, but that was more so my parents wanted me to go, my family wanted me to go. So I think I eventually realized that that wasn't really my vision, what I wanted for myself. So I kind of just started following my curiosity. So even when you were little, you were already interested in science? I was always tossing between science or law. I do have a brother who is a lawyer, so I was really interested in that as well. Um, But it was always um, medicine or something related to that. And then my family kind of started pushing me in the direction of, oh, medical school, medical school. Mm -hmm. But I was always in denial in terms of if that was really what I wanted or what they wanted for me. Once you were going through high school and you were looking through your university options and your programs, what kind of options were you looking at then? So at that point, I was pretty much looking at pre-med or life sci type tracks. Um, I went to a self-directed school, so that allowed me to take a couple extra courses. So I did take a few law courses as well. And at that point, I wasn't really sold on it, but I was still kind of keeping that door open. And then I applied to pretty much all of the life science programs in Ontario, and I settled on TMU. Okay. 
And when you say self-directed for high school, is it still in-person high school type of lifestyle and it's just they have more curated courses I guess kind of and more so operated like a university so there were no formal classes you essentially had units of work where you could complete on your own time so you could fast track so in grade 11 I was taking some grade 12 courses grade 12 I was taking a few extra courses oh okay and it's just a little bit of a different structure in terms of how people learn and I really liked it because it gave me the flexibility to learn on my own schedule Mm mm-hmm And then I feel like you were able to expose yourself to more science courses or like you also said, law courses too. Yeah. And just have a better idea of it. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. When you were choosing your program and you landed on TMU, which is Toronto Metropolitan University, how did you choose the program that you ended up going with there? So I went to the biomedical science program. I was looking at the other degrees and they were very much just like human biology, kind of cookie cutter degrees at that time. I think now there's a lot more flexibility in terms of the life science degrees and it's only been maybe like six or seven years. Mm. And I was looking for more flexibility. I wanted the opportunity to do research. I wanted the opportunity to do extracurriculars. So I was looking for more of an overall balanced type of experience during my undergrad. Mm -hmm. So that's what really drew me to TMU. Okay, yeah, something balanced, but maybe something a little bit more specified if you're talking about like how biology is was more cookie cutter. Maybe you were looking for something that you were able to learn more specifics on because I was going to ask how biology and biomedical science, how that differs or how someone would know which one is a better fit for them. Yeah, so when I was looking at some of the courses, especially the upper year, fourth year courses for biomedical science, um, they dealt with things like next generation sequencing and more so a hands-on approach to understanding how medicine and biology interact versus just understanding, I guess, like basic biology 101. So Mm -hmm. I wanted a little bit more um, of a specialization and then just the opportunity to really explore perhaps what medicine would look like mm-hmm. without event, like committing to medical school yet. Yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit more about the program in terms of the courses that you were taking, the day-to-day, just like the lifestyle in general of doing biomedical science at TMU? Sure. So the first two years are pretty standard. I think they're pretty similar when you're doing any life science degree, just your standard biology, statistics, Um, calculus, organic chemistry. So those are pretty routine and most of them did have a lab component. Um, Speaking to some of my friends from U of T, not all of the courses that they were taking had a hands-on lab component where they would be doing organic chemistry experiments or things like that. So there was a lot of hands-on, which I really appreciated. And then in year three and four, we were able to take electives. So I did do a minor in psychology at that point. Um, And we were able to specialize and take a little bit more granular courses with respect to the medicine aspect of things. Mm -hmm. What made you interested in bringing in psychology? Um, It's something that I also was kind of dabbling in uh, Mm -hmm. during high school, and I figured it would be a useful skill to have regardless of what I end up doing afterwards because... Um, people always say software or any practical thing is easy, but people are hard. So just getting a better understanding of how people function and think that the way that they do, um, I thought that would be a really useful skill to have. Yeah, I mean, bringing in a minor or just taking those electives in something different than what you're 
program is based on is always a good idea because then it allows you to try different things and then afterwards when you're needing to make some more decisions you at least have tried a different amount of subjects and can have a better idea on it too. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned research a bit too. Did you end up doing any sort of research component besides the laboratory courses in your undergrad? Yeah, so in my third year into my fourth year, I started doing research in microbiology. It was a lab. Um, Dr. Joseph McPhee, huge shout out to him. He was amazing. He pretty much really introduced me to the field of research. And before my fourth year undergraduate thesis, I just started volunteering in the lab to get accustomed to how you work in a lab and the different components that go along with that and how people typically do research, formulate a hypothesis, et cetera. And then he gave me my first project and that was part of my undergraduate thesis. Okay. So then you ended up doing your thesis with the same lab that you volunteered with then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I did that too. And I feel like it helps. It helps when you... When you start volunteering earlier on, this way you kind of have an idea, okay, I want to stay with this lab, or you might meet other professors in the meantime too, and then um, decide to change, which is fine too, because then it gives you experiences in different places. Besides the research components and also your courses, were there any other extracurricular involvements that you were a part of that also just helped you make connections or learn more about what was of interest to you during undergrad? Um, So I did a wide variety of things, but the main thing that I was focused on was the Make-A-Wish Foundation. So they had a chapter out of, or TMU. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They had a chapter out of TMU, and essentially what they do is they grant wishes for kids who have life-threatening illnesses. And it's pretty much a huge community of people who would volunteer, and we would have different events, like a haunted house, or um, we called it a hair razor. We would give haircuts and dye people's hair, and all the proceeds would go towards granting a wish. So I did some of that. Um, The SSEP, I think it was called, Student Space Exploration. We pretty much designed an experiment that was going to go up with one of the NASA missions, which was really cool. Um, Really? Yeah. Like hypothetically or? It was out of everyone who designed one, one would be selected. So unfortunately mine wasn't selected. (laughs) (laughs) Someone actually did design an experiment that ended up going um, with one. I can't remember which mission it was, but it did actually go on the spaceship. Mm -hmm. Um, I also did kickboxing um, just to be a little bit more well-rounded and try something new. Yeah. And then I did try mentoring. So that was mentoring um, upcoming undergraduate students or people who are just coming into um, undergrad and providing them with notes and just study structures. A lot of different extracurriculars that you are a part of. How did you balance it all? Um, I didn't sleep. No, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely tricky, but the most important thing, I was doing things that I really enjoyed. So for me, even though it seems chaotic, I genuinely enjoyed doing all of those different things. I enjoyed my research. I enjoyed the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, I enjoyed what I was studying, so it didn't really seem that crazy. Looking back, I think I was a little bit insane, but <laughs> at the time it all worked out. Um, mm-hmm. Time management was really key. Yeah, um, Making sure I was able to get on campus super early, finish any of my uh, deliverables that I had to do for courses, then I would have my courses throughout the day, and then the evening time was usually when I would do my extracurriculars. Mm. And then I was going to ask about the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Did you end up getting into that also because you still kind of had medicine in your mind, at least wanting to still explore it or understand what options there were for you within that um 
since Make-A-Wish Foundation is based on helping patients and healthcare and everything? Um, not necessarily. I was just looking for a way that I could give back to the community and something that would be exciting and interesting to me. And that was a charity that I always really admired. Um, the, the chapter is actually called Students for Wishes throughout TMU. Um, but yeah, it wasn't necessarily because of medical school, but I just wanted a way that I could be more involved in the community and do something for the rest of my, it was about two years that I was involved, so for the rest of my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And then during your undergrad, because you mentioned that you didn't want to totally focus yourself on medicine, but you were still giving yourself that option while also trying other things like psychology and research. So as you were going through your undergrad, what were you starting to think of for your postgraduate plans? I, at that point, I think internally I knew that I didn't want to go to medical school, but I hadn't communicated that with my family that was really pushing me in that direction. So that was a conversation I was putting off. But internally, I think I had made that decision and I really enjoyed my research. So I wanted to apply to some sort of a research program. I hadn't figured out what yet. Um, At the time, I was doing microbiome research and that was a little bit too abstract from medicine for me and Mm. I think academic research is amazing it's the foundation for medical research and preclinical research but I wanted something a little bit more tangible a little bit more closer to uh, patient outcomes and those types of interactions okay what were you doing when you were doing the microbiology that was for your thesis right yeah so I was pretty much there's a disease called Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. and it's the result of changes in your microbioflora. So I was trying to understand how specific changes in this one protein would confer additional resistance to what's known as host defense peptides or how your body naturally defends itself against these um, foreign bacteria. So I wanted to know which protein would pretty much make um, the person most susceptible to getting Crohn's disease. Okay. And so you felt that that was pretty removed from seeing like the patient. I, it sounds clinical, right? <laughs> it does. No, but I understand because I also am coming from a research background mm-hmm. and my research background would be to make compounds for pharmaceutical purposes, but you never actually see the output for that. You never actually see it go on the shelf. It's, it's very minuscule and it would take a long time or a really big breakthrough so I'm kind of picturing yours in the sense that it's many steps ahead and in the background and it would help give a small piece of information that would take years to kind of develop into something bigger so I understand what you're saying um, where you wanted something a bit more at the forefront if I'm understanding it correctly. I was pretty much working with bacteria the whole Mm -hmm. time Um, so yeah I didn't really have that hands-on Um, experience and it was very much removed from the end product and Mm -hmm. it was very much a very small piece in a huge puzzle. Yeah I mean but some people are really built for that I've definitely worked with researchers who are really good at figuring out the puzzles like sifting through literature and finding something that will help their their synthesis or their their methods Um, so then how did you end up finding something that suited your needs? So through the Students for Wishes organization that I was volunteering with, we ended up granting a wish for this girl who had a rare pediatric brain cancer. Um, We didn't meet her, but we were able to see a lot of pictures and read her story, and for me it was really compelling. And I was intrigued or interested in the pediatric brain cancer and why it was so hard to treat and what's the molecular biology behind it. I had all these questions. So I started looking into different opportunities to do that type of research. 
Um, with that specific type of brain cancer, there are only about 11 labs in the world that do research it, and I found one of them was in the University of Toronto and also SickKids Hospital. So I applied to do first a summer internship just to see if this is actually a good research fit for me, if it's something that I would enjoy. And I had a lot of fun that summer, I really enjoyed the research, and then I applied to the graduate program. Okay, nice. So that was that summer was after you graduated? Yeah. Okay. So then did you end up taking like a year off or you did a later application, I guess? Yeah, so I took so I graduated in 2017 and that summer I did the student summer internship mm-hmm. and then I took the fall off mm-hmm. and then I got into the January stream so I took nice. about three or four months off. Nice and so then specifically your master's of science is called laboratory medicine and pathobiology is that right? Yes. Okay and so you did that at U of T but the research center itself was at the sick kids hospital. Yes. So I was I'm very curious to hear about what that's like where you're a U of T student but you're working at a research center that's not on U of T grounds or not on the university grounds specifically um, but it's actually at a hospital that's very renowned and well known so what was that like for you? Yeah so the facility was amazing and I remember during my undergrad I would come to the facility to do my sequencing for my undergraduate thesis project and I was always so enamored by the building I'm like oh my goodness I would love to work here so at first it was pretty surreal to actually be in that building and be doing my master's project there and I'd pretty much be there Monday to Friday. I had a few, I think I had two courses that I was taking, and for those courses, I would go to the U of T campus, which was about a five minute walk away. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I was just in the lab doing research every day. Yeah, yeah, so I wanted to touch on how your thesis, or sorry, how your master's of science was more of a research-based master's, because some people don't really know that that exists like they have this idea that masters is more courses more schooling but it's it's a job essentially um but you are still a student because you're gaining new skills and you're working towards a certain thesis paper with a certain research question as well that you end up having to defend yeah so i had my research question was pretty much to identify what would be potential therapeutic targets for this rare pediatric brain cancer. Mm -hmm. So super high level looking at all the sequencing data so you can analyze someone's DNA, you can analyze someone's RNA, and you can analyze someone's proteins. So I was looking at the proteins as well as the RNA to figure out what could be possible therapeutic targets. And then once I identified the targets from all of the bioinformatic analysis, using what labs, so cell lines, to actually validate, are these feasible? How could I potentially target it with a therapeutic agent? How could I disrupt the function of the specific gene or the specific protein in the context of the disease? Mm -hmm. So that was the overall research project. So every day I would go in, I would have either, we call it dry lab, so you're on your computer doing those types of analytical um, analyses or wet lab. So I'm working with cell lines, some people work with mouse models to validate their study as well and that would pretty much be my Monday to Friday Mm -hmm. and then I would have what's called committee meetings so about three times a year I would meet with my committee so there are other faculty members and I present to them what I've learned so far from my research where it's going next and they would try to poke a bunch of holes in my Mm -hmm. thesis and ask me some really tough questions and help move the project forward Um, and that was pretty much the structure of my degree. How did your research go? Was it successful or I mean I'm sure there were a lot of times when you weren't getting anything at all and it just felt 
not successful. <laughs> but how did it end up going in the end? Did you feel like you were able to make a breakthrough? And also, did you feel like you were able to have more of that front runner contact that you wanted, like less in the background of the research? Um, for sure, I definitely feel like I was more in touch with some of the upstream research. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to go to some amazing events where I could meet the parents who were whose children were impacted by this disease, which was really uh, motivating and heartwarming for me. And also being able to work with biological samples that weren't bacteria, for example, that mm-hmm. also made it a little bit more real. And working with clinicians, working with other scientists that also really gave me the clinical aspects that I was looking for. Um, in terms of success, even at even if you're doing a clinical project, it's still very much one small piece of a very large puzzle. So I think fortunately I was able to find some things that the lab has since been able to work with and continue to um, work towards. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how you're also still able to interact with doctors and maybe even surgeons in the in this kind of research because for my background coming from a chemistry research it's mainly just chemistry researchers that you're interacting with so it is nice to hear how you can have research environments that give you a totally different lifestyle different connections and how you're saying like you were able to meet the parents of patients too Um, it definitely shows that there's a lot more out there with research and its lifestyle than what we might think As you were going through your master's degree, then at that point, what were you thinking for when you were going to be finishing up your thesis project? At that point, I was thinking I enjoyed the preclinical research, but academic research itself was not for me. And at that point, I started thinking about law school again, Mm. um, because then I was also unaware of all the options that you truly do have as a graduate student coming out of an academic research degree. Um, It's not always just PhD or postdoc, which a lot of people kind of think those are the two routes of entry, or maybe I'm going to go to medical school or pharmacy school. Those things weren't really um, calling to me, or I didn't feel like they would be the best fit for me. So I was thinking about um, doing law in relation to medicine, and I was starting to get ready to apply and get myself organized for those applications. And then I met Hamza, Julian, and Chris, and my life turned upside down. <laughs> for the be- for the better, though. <laughs> and then how did you meet them? Um, so Chris, the CEO of BioBox, was in the same lab as myself, and he was working on his PhD. Hamza had finished his master's degree. He was working as a bioinformatician on the same floor um, at SickKids. And then Julian was also working at SickKids as well. So we were all in the same ecosystem and we were working with the same type of next generation sequencing data. Mm-hmm. And we were all experiencing uh, the same problem from different standpoints, either from a bioinformatician standpoint, as a graduate student, um, as a data analyst, as a computer scientist. And then we were kind of like, why don't we try and solve the problem that we were facing in graduate school? But it has since evolved into so much more than that. Mm, Okay. So I feel like this is a good time then to introduce Biobox Analytics, which is the company that you work for and you are a founding member of. Could you tell us a little bit more then about its mission in terms of this problem that you were talking about that you were trying to solve and what it's evolved into today? Right, so at BioBox, we are a tech bio company that's building a web-based software application 
for scientists who are working with next generation sequencing data. And it sounds like a mouthful, but it's essentially when you sequence someone's DNA, someone's RNA, or someone's proteins to identify how are changes occurring and what do they result in? Are they contributing to specific diseases? Are they, result, are they the resultant of maybe you administer a specific therapeutic agent? How does the transcriptome or the proteome change in response to that? So it's a biological search engine where you can find observations that are important and relevant to you from public data as well as private sequencing data. All of it's indexed and organized. If you're a bioinformatician and you prefer to work with an API or use a lot of code to find those observations, you can versus if you are a biologist and you prefer a GUI, we have dashboards and lots of interactive ways that you can really tell a story with your data. And right now we're servicing uh, therapeutic companies who are working with next generation sequencing data. So if you do have a drug that needs to go to market to get it into preclinical trials, you need to demonstrate that it does what it's intended to do and it doesn't have any off-target effects. So to validate that or to demonstrate that, you use sequencing. So we allow them to essentially tell a story with their data to demonstrate that their therapeutic agent doesn't have any off-target or unintended effects. And then it also in impacts the transcriptome or the genome in the way that they're intending to hopefully cure or help absolve certain uh, biological diseases. Mm. And so is it all types of biological diseases? Because I know you're coming from specifically a brain cancer background, or let's even broaden that to cancer. But then when you're talking about the biological diseases that it serves, is that a whole range of it as opposed to just cancer? Yeah, great question. So we do have a lot of cancer uh, researchers who use the platform, but it's not agnostic to just one disease or illness. Mm -hmm. So it's transcriptomics or genomics is a universal language, irrespective of the disease that you're studying. So mm -hmm. anyone who's studying any type of disease could leverage the platform to find the insights and observations that are meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And for someone listening who is maybe in high school or in early university and still hasn't really been introduced to um, these kinds of words, <laughs> how would you explain it to, to somebody at that kind of level? Yeah, great question. So when you do this type of sequencing analysis, you get tens of thousands of data points. How from those tens of thousands of data points do you identify what's meaningful or what are the important observations that you need to tell a story with your data? And in science, storytelling is so important so that people understand exactly what you're communicating, why you're communicating it, and how it's important and relevant to them. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to a drug or a therapeutic agent, you need to tell a story to say, hey, my drug works and it doesn't have any off-target effects. So to do that, people use these uh, mouthful words, mm -hmm. <laughs> sequencing technologies, whether that be transcriptomics or genomics, to... Um, evaluate how effective their drug or therapeutic agent is mm -hmm. and to do that they can leverage our platform which consolidates all of this information and really brings what we call their million dollar data points to the forefront of their data okay so essentially it's a method of data analysis for biological diseases is yes. that correct okay and then I'm also interested in talking about what your role is so you're working right now as chief product officer is that the role that you started out with as well yes okay and then can you tell us a bit about your role your day-to-day -day life and just kind of your your lifestyle within biobox yeah so typically the product officer is responsible for pretty much outlining the company 
or the product goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. And these are aligned to the business goals and objectives. So as a business, you have specific milestones that you want to achieve. And how are you going to design the product in a way such that the business is going to achieve those goals? And then it comes down to you have these specific goals, what features are going to help you um, achieve those goals. So I can give an example. For example, let's say you have a robotic dog walking company Mm -hmm. and you have these robots that go and walk people's dogs. And perhaps one company goal is to instill customer confidence. So perhaps a feature that you might design to do such such a thing would be to have cameras installed so that the owners can see their dogs as the dogs are walking. So that's kind of how like you take the business objective of instilling customer confidence and then from a product standpoint, what features can we design to implement that and ensure those business goals and objectives are achieved. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of high level in terms of what product does. And Mm -hmm. then project would be what are the individual features and how do we actually go about executing them? So what are the blueprints for all of the features and how are they designed? What's the UI UX? How does that look like? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a really broad category and lots of responsibilities. Yeah. But an average day for me in the morning, um, lots of meetings either with other team members. So syncing with sales. We have these features coming out. What's our sales strategy? Syncing with engineers. These are the features coming out. These are the specific actions that a user needs to take. This is the UI UX, so designing all the wireframes and the prototypes in terms of how people are going to interact with the platform itself. Um, doing a lot of user interviews, so people who are currently using the platform, what do they like, what do they not like. Interviewing prospective users to understand what problems they face in their day to day. And as product, how can I help bring a solution to the table that will solve some of those problems. Um, reading a lot of academic research papers to understand how people are presenting their data, what are they doing, typically in the sequencing field because that's always evolving, doing lots of market research, and then consolidating all of that and coming to the table with new solutions and new features that we can design as a company. Mm-hmm. Do you So do you come up with the features on your own? Yeah, so I do come up with the, the features myself. Um, it kind of depends on the company. If you do have a larger product team, you would have the product officer who's overseeing what we're doing and why we're doing it. So what are the overarching goals? And then you would have the project managers who would be designing the individual features. You might have a product designer who's designing Mm -hmm. the UI UX, but because I'm the only product person, I kind of have to take it from start to finish. Yeah, I kind of want to talk about what UI and UX is. For some people listening, they might not know, but my experience with it and my understanding is you're essentially designing what the software or the program would look like. So everything down to the buttons and the and the colors and the lines the organization everything the words that are on the page and also in terms of what it means by ux like the experience how it all functions right so like if you're pressing a certain button what does it do what does it lead you to what options come up and all of that um so do you take care of all of that as well yes okay. so some people do have product designers that mm-hmm. that's their role in and of itself just to design mm-hmm. um and that's kind of where the psychology comes in because you have to understand how people are interacting why they're interacting in a such a way um first it comes down to what their problem is mm-hmm. and then once you have a solution for their problem what is their journey so the user journey to solve that problem Are they going to click on this button? Are they going to scroll over here? Are they going to look at this page? So once you map out the user journey, from there you come up with the user interaction and the user design. So I use a program called Figma to essentially wire, they're called wireframes where Mm -hmm. you're designing what looks like the application, but it's not actually the application Mm -hmm. um, for new features in terms of how people are going to interact and click around on the application 
and then this blueprint is essentially what's shared with the engineering team and they use that to build the feature and bring it to life yeah so it's important to mention too then that you're not doing the actual code um, or building of the features and designs but you're the one who's designing it and then also testing it too is that right yeah unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) because i'm sure there's many bugs and whatnot that come up and it doesn't go the way it's initially planned and things have to be rewired and everything and so i wanted to talk about how you definitely need so much of your background like you've been talking about Um, you need your biological background you also talked about your psychology background too which i wanted to ask do you actually feel like that's being brought in in the sense that the psychology courses that you took do you see a huge use for it in understanding how users would want to and need to be able to use the platform um i do think it comes in handy but i think there's a whole other branch of psychology um, regarding user interaction and user design which i've mm-hmm. kind of done some reading on the side for mm-hmm. i'd say the psychology more so helps with the user interviews and understanding how to get people to talk about their pain points with respect to working with the sequencing data and how to tell a story with, um, we're helping people tell a story with their data, but internally, I also have to use those storytelling skills to ensure that our sales team, our engineering team understands what we're building and why mm-hmm. we're building it and who we're building it for. So I think in those aspects, the psychology definitely comes in. Yeah, I was going to touch on that too, how your role involves then speaking with the clients and the the users of the interface and seeing what they need and what they like and and what's working for them or not. So it's really interesting because your role is bringing in so many different skills. Um, The UI and the UX, I don't know if this is correct to say, but it almost brings in like graphic design skills or artistry skills. Um, But then also so much more, I didn't even think about the psychology perspective. But then you also are bringing in customer service skills and interpersonal skills to be able to communicate with the clients and then bring it back to your team. So there's just so much going on. I am really interested though in how you ended up learning and landing on this specific position when you started out talking with your your colleagues at the very beginning because I would think that the UI and the UX role kind of requires a computer science background just kind of from what my first impression is but I also know that it can be self-taught too so where did that end up coming in as an interest for you and ending up to be your role with BioBox? Great question so when I first came in it was we were trying to figure out okay what are we going to design and who are we designing it for so as someone who has um, experience doing computational biology as well as the wet lab biology I was almost one of the target users So I had an in-depth understanding of how people would be working with the platform. So it just made sense to have someone who essentially would be one of the target users design what the user journey is, design the features that someone would be using because I was thinking from a first-person perspective. Mm -hmm. But as we continue to grow in scale, that has to shift because the field is ever-evolving and I can't just rely on my personal experiences from... I don't want to say how many years ago. (laughs) Um, So that's where it initially started off. And at that point, we weren't so heavy on the UI UX. So that was something that I kind of learned as I went along. I also took a course for advanced product management through the product faculty. And that was really, really helpful in terms of um, establishing a company vision, the product vision, those goals, and those types of metrics that you have to look out for. 
Um, and that's kind of how I matured into the role that I am today. Mm-hmm. So is it something that has become a passion, the design side of it, or is it just something that you have to do and then the other parts um, in terms of like the biological research and all of that, that's more of the passion still? Um, I think it's pretty much a blend of both. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely a skill that I've recently developed over time. And the wireframes, there's low fidelity wireframes where it's kind of like you just design something really quickly to communicate a message and then there's high fidelity wireframes. Mm -hmm. The high fidelity wireframes are essentially one-to-one with the application to the point where the developers can go in and see all the CSS, all of the code that would be required to actually design the feature. That took a lot of time for me to get comfortable doing, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's something that I recently got a lot more comfortable with. And it's to the point where I can show these high fidelity wireframes to prospects or to clients to say, hey, is this actually useful? Is this something that you would use in your day to day? And that's been immensely valuable for us. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because I think that your role just brings in so many different skills and so many different hats, I guess I would say, because it's not just the research side of it. It's the design side and the communication side and the research side. So do you feel like you really have that well-rounded, holistic type of job in the sense that you're able to bring in so many different skills and also allow yourself to evolve too? Yeah, I think that's what I enjoy about it the most. No two days are the same for me. Mm -hmm. And there's always, sometimes I'm like, oh, that was so difficult. And then the next thing that I have to design comes up and I'm like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So the ever-evolving challenge is really fun for me and it's something that I really enjoy. And I do like being able to kind of use all facets of my education from the psychology to um, the brain cancer research to everything else that I've done so far. I feel like it really prepared me for what I'm doing today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just feel like that shows how everything is so meant to be because you're able to bring in all the different things from your background and then apply it to your job in ways that people probably don't even realize. I do want to talk about what it's like being a part of a startup Um, You were one of the founding members, so I'm interested in hearing what it was like joining a startup out of your master's. Was it nerve-wracking? Was it exciting? Just tell us all about it and maybe even the challenges that have come along with it too. Yeah, it was crazy, but I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Um, It definitely isn't for everyone. I remember we started off in the pandemic during that weird time when no one really knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, let's just start a company. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was definitely a crazy adventure and it still continues to be. Um, It definitely, there was uncertainty there. I was a little bit nervous, but for me, the main thing was I didn't want to look back in five or six years with regret. And I knew if I didn't take this opportunity, I definitely would be regretting it in a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess even going back to where we started this conversation from was your plans after your master's. And so was it easy to close the door then on law school at that time? Is it something that's still kind of a possibility for you in the future? Um, Now I no longer have that passion because I do really enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's something that if worst came to worst I could always go and apply for so it's not like that that door is closed but I knew the window of opportunity for starting a company can be very narrow depending on the sector that you're in so we wanted to capitalize on the opportunity while we had it. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to talk about how you're the only female founding member of BioBox and so I'm interested in hearing your advice 
for young women who are interested in joining a tech startup or starting their own, um, from your experiences, what kind of advice would you give? Um, If possible, make sure that you get to know your co-founders and make sure that they are people that you feel comfortable and that you would want to work with every day, people that would advocate for you if necessary, Mm -hmm. but also you have to be that person for yourself. So there may be times where you have to be comfortable standing up for yourself and speaking out for what's right Mm -hmm. and just really being comfortable in your skin to do that for yourself, I think is really important. Yeah, and it, it takes time too, and sometimes I feel like you have to go through some difficult situations in order to learn how to deal with it better the next time too. But that is a really good point about getting to know your team first um, or who you would be possibly working with, especially when it's it's all men or it's all guys. I'm also interested in hearing what the future of BioBox looks like and what's coming up with BioBox this year. Coming up, we do have some really exciting features. We're continuing to expand our sequencing support. So there's a lot of different sequencing techniques that you can use and learn from. And we also have a lot more exciting features for computational biologists. So API integrations, if you know how to code, you can access observations that way. And we're just continuing to expand our feature set to really have a robust multi-omic platform so that you can come and you can do a wide variety of analyses. And so to wrap up, I have my last question for you, which is what are your hopes for your future career development and what do you hope to achieve during your career? Oh, that's a really tough question. Um, I feel like in the past three years, I've grown and learned so much. I would say arguably more than I have in my undergraduate and graduate degree. So I hope that trajectory of learning and growth continues. Um, I also want to use my journey to help or mentor any people who are just starting a business because I do continue to receive mentorship from people who are a few years or even decades ahead. Um, They've been really nice in terms of giving me advice and helping me navigate this journey. So I'd love to be that person for other people who are thinking of starting a company. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for sitting with us today and talking all about your career and sharing your experiences as well as your advice. I know that people listening will definitely um, find this insightful and learn new things, especially about the industry and things that they probably didn't even know that existed to them as well. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And one last thing, um, if anyone is interested in the biotech community, we do have this amazing community called Biotech TO. So you can Google them and you can find events. We often do networking events where if you are interested in entering biotech and you might be in your undergraduate degree, a high school student, or even a graduate student, you can come out and meet other co-founders, other scientists, and it's really a great way to just network and meet new people. Yeah, that's amazing. And is that a part of a university institution or it's just on its own? Um, It's just a community that's on its own. Um, Our director of strategic partnerships, she's actually one of the founding members. Um, So she's always there and just really engaging and it's a great way to meet new people. Okay, thank you so much, Lauren. No problem, thank you. Thank you so much to Lauren for coming on Meant to Be. It is very inspiring to hear how Lauren is building a career in the tech and software industry for the purpose of biology research. It's so cool to see how these fields are connected and how you don't necessarily have to just choose one when choosing your career path. I also loved hearing about what it's like joining a startup company and really having to take that leap of faith. So thank you again to Lauren for sharing her experiences and advice. 
In the description, you can find the website link for BioBox if you are interested in their services, as well as the link for Biotech TO, a community for aspiring biotech entrepreneurs. Next week, we will have a guest from a chemistry background who is now working in building and material science at one of the most well-known construction companies, Ellis Don. As someone with my own chemistry background, I know that this is a very untraditional career path, yet it is so applicable. So make sure to tune in next week to learn all about it. In the meantime, follow us on Projects on all social media platforms for updates and more mentorship resources. Thank you so much for listening.